Well, good morning and welcome to Regeneration. We're so glad to have you here, especially since, you know, you could have woken up and been confused about why it's snowing and it's April and thought you should just stay in bed. Um, but here at Regen, we're passionate about um, interrupting people's lives with the love and grace of Jesus. And so we hope today that through um, the word of God, through the singing, through your time together, that you will find yourself interrupted. Um, and just a few announcements for you. So we do check-ins here, and this month our check-ins are for Inspiring Minds. So if you have a Facebook account and you check in and use the hashtag RegenGives, that will uh, generate a donation for Inspiring Minds, which gives kids um, just a vision for more. And so it takes them on college visits and does tutoring and things like that that just help them with their education. Um, we have next Sunday our Discover Regen, so we do that every three or four months, and that's just an opportunity for you to come, have lunch with us, meet the staff, find out what we're doing here at Regen, and maybe figure out a way that you could plug in. So we would love to have you. It'll be right after church next Sunday, and it includes lunch. And then um, the 20th and 21st is going to be our couples conference. So if you are in a relationship, we would invite you to come. We're going to be having doctors um, Bob and Pam McRae, who are professors at Moody Bible Institute. And they've just played a huge role in Kyle in my life. And so we're excited to have them with us and just for you to be able to have the opportunity to be with them as well. So that'll be the weekend after that. And then coming up May 9th is our um, McGuffey Celebration of the Arts. And Lindsay, where did she go? Oh, she was right behind me on the drum. But Lindsay, who's playing the drum, um, she will have a clipboard after church. And the Celebration of the Arts is um, McGuffey K-8 through is um, the elementary school that's close to our Grace campus and one that we partner with a lot. And so they do a Celebration of the Arts night where they invite all of their students in and they get to do, um, I'm not even good at what all the things are, but there's creative things and music things and theater things. And so Lindsay has the specific roles that you can um, sign up for, but we would invite you to do that. It's going to be Wednesday, May 9th in the evening. And so it's one of our most uh, fun events that we get to do. So if you are available that night, I would really encourage you to come and do that. So I think that is all for our announcements. So I'm going to invite Aaron up to come and pray for our offering. Hello, good morning. We're going to take offering in a minute, um, so I would invite you to pray with me. Um, God, thank you so much for this opportunity to come together today. Um, we have an opportunity now to mirror the generosity that you demonstrate um, in our lives with our own, and we're just really thankful for that. Um, we welcome your interruption to our week. We thank you for this time where we can just come together um, and, and just become more aware of your presence, become more aware of who you are, your character. Um, we just ask that you would slow us down today, um, that we would be able to hear um, and receive what you have for us. Amen. Jesus, you, <clears throat> you've come into this place to pull us close. Every time we think that we sing this song, I, I think about how... Um, that is language for you that we feel a little uncomfortable with and you don't care about that and how your desire is to demonstrate to us clearly your affection for us this morning. And so, uh, Jesus, I pray that you would like clear away the junk and help us to know your love and affection this morning. Pray that you would help us to hear your voice um, and do what you say. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Uh, kids can head back with Caitlin.
Kids are going back with Caitlin today, so for Regen Rangers, there should be like a pew, 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 pew sound when they, when they do that. All right, bye, guys. Pew, pew, pew. Bye, Malachi. Um, uh, Dominic, if you want to come and kind of get yourself settled, I'm going to talk for a minute. Um, so uh, welcome to Regen. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. Um, here's something to know. Um, I was reminded of this. You're prob- if you're going to be part of Regen, the thing that you need to know is you're only going to ever like about 70% of what we do. Maybe 60. You're only going to like about 60 to 70% of what we do. And when you're in somebody else's, when you're in somebody else's uh, 30, when you're in your 30, somebody is in somebody else's 70. So some of the stuff you may not be crazy about, um, Rebecca, could you get those doors? Um, you may not be crazy about, uh, but when you're in your 30% that you're not crazy about, somebody else is in their 70, and that's what it looks like to be in community together. Um, and I'm really excited about what Jesus is doing. Hi, Annalise. Um, in, in our community, I'm really excited the way that he's inviting us and challenging us for more impact. And um, so thanks for being here this morning. I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, this is Dominic, and this is the answer to the question you're all thinking. Why is Kyle so good looking? It's because Dominic's my barber at Rahab's Grooming Great Gents, and if you need a barber, that's your guy. Uh, he's over in Halland, and uh, I was just there on Thursday, which is why I look fresh. Um, Dominic is also a musician. He's got a show. Did you say April 13th at Green Eagle? April 13th at Green Eagle Winery. Um, and uh, so Dominic, I was getting my hair cut in like October, and this song by John Mayer came on called In the Blood. Um, and it's from his album, For the Search of Everything, or In Search of Everything, In Search of Everything. And um, I heard this, and I instantly loved this song. It, the whole album became like the soundtrack to our fall. Pro tip, if you have Amazon Prime, you can download it in the Amazon Music app for free. Um, and uh, there's this song called In the Blood, which I'm not going to lie to you, is the inspiration for this entire series, Getting Past Your Past. And so um, I begged and conjoled uh, Dominic to see if he would come play live for us this song called In the Blood. And here is the deal. Um, Y'all either need to start getting barbered by him. Is that the technical term, being barbered? Sure. Sure, okay, (laughs) groomed by. Um, Or we all need to go uh, see him play on Friday, I guess that would be. So Dominic is gonna play In the Blood and then we're gonna unpack this. So it's all you, my guy. How much of my mother has my mother left in me? How much of my love will be insane to some degree? And what about this feeling that I'm never good enough? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? How much of my father has my father left in me? Will I dim the lights inside just to satisfy someone? Will I let this woman kill me or do away with jealous love? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? I can feel the love I want, I can feel the love I need But it's never gonna come the way I am 
Can I change it if I want it? Can I rise above the flood? Will it wash out in the water? Is it always in the blood? How much of my brothers do my brothers want to be? Does a broken home become another broken family? Will we be there for each other like nobody ever could? Will it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? I can feel the love I want, I can feel the love I need But it's never gonna come the way I am Can I change it if I want it? Can I rise above the flood? Will it wash out in the water? Is it always in the blood? I can feel the love I want I can feel the love I need But it's never gonna come the way I am Can I change it if I want it? Can I rise above the flood? Will it wash out in the water? Or is it always in the blood? Will it wash out in the water Or is it always in the blood? Dude. Dude. <clears throat> do, do our guy a favor. Look him, you can take out your phone, look him up on Facebook, and let's all be at Green Eagle on Friday. Deal? All right? Um, dude, you, thank you for making me look fresh in so many ways. We're going to be in Genesis 12. Um, that, that song, does it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? This is a question that we're all asking. And it is a question that we ask most when the following thing happens. You know when you were growing up, your parents did stuff and you said, I am never going to do that. Then one day, a few years later, you find yourself doing it. Despite the fact that you can't stand that you did it. Does it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? Are we destined to become like our parents? And are we destined to replicate their lives and even, most worrisome, are we destined to replicate their mistakes? John's song is about a broken home, his mother's crazy love, his father's apathy. Does a broken home become another broken family? We are doomed to repeat the, does it, I mean, really, are we? Are we doomed to repeat the mistakes of our parents? Are the sins of the father, as scripture says, really visited on the son to the third and fourth generation and the daughter? We all wrestle with our past. We are all haunted, haunted at times by the mistakes we've made, the mistakes of those who love us. We're haunted by the things that we've done. We're, we're, we're haunted by the things that have been done to us. And this series is all about that struggle. It's the struggle to get past our past. How do we get around the things that have happened to us, the things that have been done to us, the things that we have done? How do we get past our past? And when I listen to this song for the first time, yes, Annalise, amen. When I listen to this song for the first time, I turned to Steph and I said, this is a song about baptism. I don't think John Mayer knew that when he was writing it, but I think this is a song about baptism. 
as a follower of Jesus, when I'm baptized, is all of that junk, is, does it wash out in the water or is it always with me? And the reality is if it is with me, even after I'm saved, after I'm delivered, if it's always with me, and let's be honest, the longer you follow Jesus, it, it seems like that stuff, it stays with us. If that stuff stays with us, if it doesn't wash out on the water, if it's always in the blood, what is Jesus's plan and process for that junk? What is Jesus's plan and process to our hurts and our wounds and our hangups and our past? You see, Jesus promises us abundant life, John 10.10. 10. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. But it often feels like our past stands between us and that abundant life. While the Father says, I have separated your sins from you as far as the east is from the west, the Father says, I will remember your sins no more. We, we really remember them. So how do we get past our past? How do we get past our past? This May marks five years since we moved back to Ohio. Now, I'm from Cortland, uh, went to Chicago, and never, ever thought I would come back here ever. In our first year of marriage, we were married in June, and that November we went to South Dakota to be with my wife's family, and we were looking for a next step in ministry. I was a part-time youth pastor at the time, and the church wasn't going to really be able to take me full-time, and so we began to pray about what was next. And every time we prayed about this, my wife says, every time we pray about this, I think about Warren, and I think about Rick, Rick Oaks. Some of you know him. He's my mentor. I think about Warren, and I think about Rick, and I said, we need to stop praying about that because I am not going home. Ever, ever, ever. And in a process of things happening, I called Rick and asked him for a job because I knew, I knew, I'm going to take a step of faith, Jesus. I'll just say, I'll call Rick. Can I have a job? He'll say, wouldn't that be fun? But no, because we don't have money. To my horror, he said, oh yeah, sure. I said, on a scale of one to 10, how likely is this? 10 means start packing your boxes. He was like, oh, easily like a nine or a nine and a half. And I, I kind of cussed a little bit. You know what I mean? And as, I, as we made the decision to come back and we were going to get settled, uh, I, I, I was talking to a mentor and my mentor said, you know, Kyle, sometimes you have to go back in order to go forward. And that's how we get past our past. You got to go back before you can go forward. You got to go back before you can go forward. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to go back when it comes to our, our past? It means that we have to name and process and in most cases, forgive what happened in our past in the presence and company of Jesus. I'm going to say that again. We have to name and process and forgive what happened in our past, either the things we have done or have been done to us, in the presence and company of Jesus. And if we do not do this, if we do not process our past, the reality, the reality is our past doesn't stay in our past. Our past becomes our present. When you don't process your past in the presence of Jesus, your past like sneaks in and overtakes and consumes your present. Pain from the past cannot stay in the past until it receives healing. Pain from the past cannot stay in the past until it receives healing. And that's why when it's unprocessed, it goes beneath the surface and then comes back up like it's like a puppet. It's like we become the puppet for our past because suddenly we find ourselves responding and reacting, often unconsciously, in ways that are in direct response to our past. A few weeks ago, um, we were having a conversation around our dinner table around divorce and remarriage and, and what is biblical and what isn't and what does that look like. And I had to say out loud, I am feeling very strongly about this. 
and it's because there's some divorce in my family history. My parents are divorced. I mean, I'm fine. I feel like I've processed this, but I was feeling very strongly. Pain that is not processed, even pain that is processed, sometimes shows up in our hearts and our attitudes and in our words in ways that we don't expect. And sometimes it reaches right up in there and controls us like a puppet. Unless we process it, it goes down beneath the surface and then we medicate it and we medicate it with any number of things. Busyness, we medicate it with porn, we medicate it with sex, we medicate it with, I mean, you name it, we'll just try to medicate the pain that we've put down beneath the surface. I mean, we even, a lot of Christians do this. Like if I just do one more Bible study, the pain will go away. If I just read the Bible a little bit more, if I just pray a little bit harder, then the pain will go away. Consuming Christian products does not a Christian make. Okay, it helps. It helps. So it goes beneath the surface, and then we find this truth, that what we do not transform, we transmit. And so that bitterness or criticism, the misogyny, the the racism that we were raised around, when we do not transform that, we transmit it. And that's the moment when you find yourself saying, oh my gosh, I'm becoming just like my parents. Because what we do not transform, we, we transmit. Now, this sermon is going to focus a little bit more on the things that are lurking in our family tree. Not all of them are going to do that. Um, and, and, and a couple objections often come to your mind. If you're really Christian, the objection is, you know, Paul says in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind, I press on to the goal. Thank you, Kathy Britt, for shaking your head. That is not about not dealing with your past. Philippians chapter 3 is about not letting anything stop you from coming to know Jesus better. So if you're a Christian in this room saying, I don't need to process my past because it's in the past, don't Rafiki this. Do you remember in Lion King? It doesn't matter. It's in the past, right? No. It matters. Oh, he's wearing a Hakuna Matata shirt. Lion King all over the place. Thank you, Joey. No, we have to stop. We have to get the crap out of the way so that we can know Jesus more. Some of you, this is also an interesting thing. This is a very millennial sermon series. The millennials are like, sign me up, right? Let's talk about my parents, right? Let's go. Um, And uh, here's the thing, we do this thing sometimes in leadership where I'll ask people, um, tell me about the most memorable experience of your childhood, good or bad, and and people that are boomers, like 50 and over, they'll all say, like, my past was like, I I had a really happy childhood. And millennials are like, let me tell you my darkness, right? And so there's, there's this interesting thing, and so the older you get, you start to believe the lie that I am who I am and I'm not gonna be any different. It's not how Jesus works. There's not like this, you don't turn 70 and Jesus is like, we're just going to go on a break until we get to heaven. No. Lifelong process of growing to be more like Jesus. And Jesus' desire for us is not for us to walk around controlled by our past, with shame from our past, with wounds from our past. That's not Jesus' desire for us. I have come that they may have life and life abundant. Jesus has something else. This is actually, look at Romans 8. I have that on the screen, I think, somewhere, Dan. Romans 8. It says that God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. And the son stands first in the line of the humanity he restored. We see, I love this verse, we see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. If you want to know what God's desire is for your life, look at Jesus. We don't see Jesus like 
under gloom and doom from carrying around wounds from his parents and wounds from his past, the things that he's done, the things that he had done to him. Now, he, he had the distinct advantage of never having done anything wrong. So that was one less thing to haunt him. But that's not what Je- Jesus wants our lives. God wants our lives not just to look kind of similar to Jesus, but to overlap and become identical with. And that happens fully in heaven. But the process of sanctification is getting our lives to overlap with Jesus. And we look at Jesus, the reality of joy and righteousness and peace in the kingdom, which was Jesus's, can be ours. And it can be exponentially ours more to the level which we process our past. we become more in touch with and kind of bend along the line of Jesus' life more truly the more we process our past. And if you think about it, there's this other objection to wanting to go to your past because this is a very family-oriented area. And so you feel like it is disloyal to your family to talk about how your family hurt you. Okay? What is more disloyal and dishonoring to your parents? Naming out loud the things that they did to hurt you and disappointed you and processing it and forgiving them or taking that junk, keeping it and passing it on to your kids. Honoring your parents in God's eyes. Hi, Luke. Honoring your parents in God's eyes means removing the junk and cutting that away and processing it and naming it and forgiving it Second to last sermon on this is going to be on forgiveness. It's going to be so fun. Y'all, y'all be sick that day or something. Um, and forgiving it and then adding more righteousness and joy and goodness into your family line, that's the way we honor our parents. That's the vision Jesus has. So the next few weeks we're going to look at this idea of what we do not transform, we transmit. We're going to look at it in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, the book of Genesis. One of the most famous families in all of scripture, one of the most dysfunctional families in all of scripture. So let's look at Genesis chapter 12. If you've got your Bible, go there. Genesis chapter 12. Easy, right? Last series was the book of Revelation. So it was at the end, right? Flip to the end. Now you flip to the beginning, the book of Genesis. Book of Genesis. If you want to know what the book of Genesis is about, we were talking about this last night too. The book of Genesis is not how did God create the world. The book of Genesis is 42 chapters of one dysfunctional family with a little bit about how God created the world at the beginning. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12 opens with a guy named Abram and a guy and a guy named Yahweh and Yahweh says to Abram, "Hey Abram, you've never heard of me, you've never met me. What I'd like you to do is get up and leave your father's house, leave your country and go to a place that I will show you." He didn't then say, "And here is the GPS coordinates." He said, why don't you just get up and go, and I'll tell you when to stop. And Abram does something crazy. He gets up and goes. He gets up, and he leaves his father's house because of what God says. Look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. He says, leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on the earth will be blessed through you. If you grew up in church, we sang this song. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. Let's just praise the Lord. Every unchurched person is like, I didn't miss anything. I'm good. (laughs) Um, If you kind of didn't. This is what it means that we are all children of Abraham. Through Abraham, God blesses all the nations of the earth. 
Every family on the nation will be blessed. And, and this promise of blessing, it motivates Abraham to go. And he goes to the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, the promised land. And then look what happens in chapter 12, verse 10. It says, at that time, a severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt, where he lived as a foreigner. And as he was approaching the border of Egypt, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, look, you're a very beautiful woman. I married up. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. Let's kill him so we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and they will treat me well because of their interest in you. And somewhere in between verses 13 and 14 is Sarah going, okay, like a crazy person. Like what wife is like, oh yeah, sure, right? I don't even care if it was like 4,000 years ago in a more patriarchal society. Like no woman is like, um, okay, verse 14. And sure enough, when Abram arrived in Egypt, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. They were like, hmm. When the the palace officials saw her, they sang her praises to Pharaoh, their king, and Sarai was taken into his palace. Then Pharaoh gave Abram many gifts because of her, sheep and goats and cattle and male and female donkeys and male and female servants and camels. In other words, Pharaoh makes it rain, right? Like he just... But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh. This is verse 17 in his household. Because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh summoned Abram and accused him sharply. What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh ordered some of his men to escort them. And he sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all of his possessions. Question, did he take all that stuff back? We don't know. Now fast forward to Genesis chapter 26. Just flip a couple pages over. Genesis chapter 26. A few years have gone by. Abraham and Sarah, Abram and Sarai are now Abraham and Sarah. They have two kids, one through Sarah's handmaid Hagar, and then one naturally, despite all odds. And Isaac has grown up, and, and look at chapter 26, verse 1. A severe famine now struck the land, as happened before in Abraham's time. The author wants you to know that we have seen this before, in case you forgot. So Isaac moves to Gerar, where Abimelech, king of the Philistines, lived. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but do as I tell you. Live here as a foreigner in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. I hereby confirm that I will give all these lands to you and your descendants, just as I solemnly promised Abraham, your father. I will cause your descendants to become as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Does this sound familiar? I will do this because Abraham listened to me and obeyed all my requirements and commands and decrees and instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Verse 7, when the men who lived there asked Isaac about his wife, Rebekah, He said, she is my sister. Pull that play out of dad's handbook, right? He was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought they'll kill me to get to her because she's so beautiful. But sometime later, verse 8, so interesting. Old Testament, I love it. Verse 8, but sometime later, Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, looked out his window and saw Isaac caressing Rebekah. Okay, not good to like be making out in public if you're trying to say that this is your sister, right? If you don't know what caressing is, kids, go home and ask your mom. 
Immediately, Abimelech called for Isaac and exclaimed, She is obviously your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Well, because I was afraid someone would kill me to get her from me. How could you do this, Abimelech exclaimed. One of my people might easily have taken your wife and slept with her, and you would have made us guilty of great sin. And then Abimelech issued a proclamation. Anyone who touches this man or his wife will be put to death. How much like my father am I destined to become? John Mayer saying. How much like my father am I destined to become? And in Abraham's family, it seems like a great deal of destiny. It feels like there is some strong generational gravitational pull because put in the same position as his father, Isaac, put in the same position as his father, repeats his father's mistake. Now he stays in the land, he listens to the Lord, but he does the same thing his father did. He lies. He throws his wife under the bus. He lives out of fear, and it seems so small. We've all lied this week. We've all lied to, like, get out of a conflict. Our wife said, do we look good in these clothes? You said, what? Yes, right? We've all lied about these things. And it seems, like, so silly that that deceit and fear and, and throwing people under the bus, the selfishness would be a big deal. And yet, in this family... In the line of Abraham and Isaac and soon-to-be Jacob and Jacob's 12 sons, which includes a guy named Joseph, fear and selfishness and deceit taint this family's bloodline for generations. I mean, read the book of Genesis and watch how, how Abraham's deceit and selfishness is on repeat in every generation of his family, in his children and in his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. And this fear and deceit and selfishness and favoritism and bad marriages and bitterness, all of it, it's just over and over and over and over again, as if the author of Genesis is getting bored, can't come up with a new story, so just repeats the plot line, just like that show Once Upon a Time. Same show, same story, five seasons in a row, right? Oh no, everybody can't remember who they are. Oh no, everybody can't remember who they are again. Like, guys, come on, we're paying a lot of money. Does it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? Does it wash out in the water or is it always in the blood? In Abraham's family, at least, it's always in the blood. All of Abraham's descendants languish under these, these, these weaknesses and failings. And like them, we struggle with the hang-ups and the hurts and the wounds that are lurking up in the branches of our family trees. What haunted our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents haunts us. Alcoholic parents very often give birth to alcoholic children. Anxious parents often give birth to anxious children. Racist children are raised by racist parents. Workaholic children are raised by workaholic parents. Children raised in divorced families are exponentially more likely to divorce than their friends who are not. And maybe it's not even the big stuff. It's the small stuff. It's like the criticism and the conflict, how we feel about men, how we feel about women, how we feel about work, how we feel about money. All of these things shape us. All of it comes from our families. And even when we come to know Jesus, even when we come to know Jesus and we're saved and healed and delivered and all these kind of good words, it hangs on. Which is why the saying goes, Jesus may live in my heart, but grandpa lives in my bones. 
Jesus may live in my heart, but grandpa lives in my bones. So does it wash out in the water? Or is it always in the blood? And if it's always in the blood, what is Jesus' plan for that? What is his promise and what is his, what is his process? I want to look at with you, if you've got a Bible, flip there, 1 Peter 1. It's my, one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture, 1 Peter 1. Some of it will be on the screen. 1 Peter 1, starting in verse 18, says, <clears throat> You were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for the sake of y'all, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. This is why I love this, this passage, because the minute you step across the line of faith, the minute you say yes to Jesus, this is objectively true about you. The minute you say yes to Jesus, you are ransomed from the futile ways of your fathers. Positionally and objectively, you are ransomed from their futile ways, which means that the mistakes of your parents and your grandparents, the wounds that you carry around from them, that is not the most important thing about you. That's not the most important thing about you anymore. Jesus enters into your story and begins to redefine the whole shape of it around himself. That's why Paul says in Romans 8 that like our lives are kind of like arcing along the line of, of his life. Listen, I, I know some of the stuff that happened to some of you. And it is very easy to walk around with like this invisible name tag that says, hi, I'm this terrible thing that happened to me. That is not who you are. Just because you were raised in a divorce home doesn't mean that you're going to get a divorce. Doesn't, just because you were raised in an anxious home doesn't mean you need to be anxious your whole life. Just because your parents were workaholics doesn't mean that you have to be. Just because they were really critical doesn't mean you have to be critical. You have to live in shame from all of that stuff. You have been redeemed by what calls the futile ways of your forefathers. I love that he uses that word. Futile. Silly. Vapid. We are not doomed to repeat our parents' past mistakes. We are not doomed to be defined by the junk that our families hand down to us. We are not doomed to be defined by the futile ways of our forefathers. Instead, Peter says three things. First, he says, we were ransomed. We were ransomed. Double-click on this word. The word ransomed means redeemed. It means to be bought back. And where the very moment you stepped across the line of faith, you were ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers. Objectively, in the eyes of God, positionally, if you will, you are ransomed. But here's the reality. We live over here where what is objectively true of us does not always shape our subjective experience, right? We live in what we could call an already not yet. We are already redeemed, but not yet redeemed. And the life of following Jesus is kind of bringing these two realities closer and closer and closer and closer and closer together until you get to heaven and they are one. What is subjectively true is also objectively true. What you experience is also what is positionally true. And it happens in this process of discipleship. It happens in this process of following Jesus. It does not happen if you just come to church sometimes and give a little bit and kind of read a Christian book and share some Christian things every once in a while. It does not happen. That is not discipleship. That is not following Jesus. That is consuming a Christian product. We exist for more than that as a church. And if that's where you're starting, awesome. Don't stay there. 
that's where you're starting. That's awesome. Just don't stay there. This long work of redemption that brings these things together and what activates that drawing these things together, what activates what is positionally true and subjectively true, our redemption, is the blood of Jesus. Peter says, you know how much something costs by how much you have to pay for it. You know how valuable something is by how much you pay for it. If my wife's wedding ring was something I got for a quarter out of a gumball machine at Giant Eagle, we would say it is not a very valuable ring. We understand the value of our redemption, our, the power, the depth of our redemption when we look at what was, how it was paid for. And it was paid for, it was paid for, Peter says, not by silver or gold, but by the blood of Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. We'll never comprehend just how far you'll go to say you love us. But that's how far. That's how far love goes. Love goes exceedingly far and then some to show us that we're loved exceedingly far to heal us, exceedingly far to redeem us so that we aren't defined by those things. And, and, and there's this really great language for this out of Tolkien. Frodo, you know, gets, for those of you who not read the book, he gets stabbed by this blade that has some black magic attached to it. Uh, and it hurts on the same day that he was stabbed every year after that. Okay, we're going to look at Jacob. Um, later, Jacob wrestles with God and walks with a limp the rest of his life. It hurts, but it's a closed wound. It hurts, but it's not what defines us, right? We feel them, but we don't feel them as deeply or as sharply because the precious blood of Jesus buys us back from that. He said his, the resurrection of Jesus provides us hope. Hope that is no joke, like we talked about last week, that the resurrection of Jesus, if God can bring somebody back from the dead, he surely can bring you back from your woundedness. And there are so many areas of our lives that we count as dead. There are so many areas of our lives that feel inside like the weather feels in April, like an unending winter, right? If Jesus can come back from the dead, if God can raise him, he surely can make alive those areas that we consider death. He surely can make alive those areas that we have kind of said as a foregone conclusion will never be healthy. Now, here's the problem. You can't have a resurrection without a death. God doesn't raise living things, <clears throat> which means you have to do that. When you go back to go forward, let me tell you how that feels. It feels a lot like dying. It feels soup's ugly. It feels super hard. And yet, in, in walking into the past, we're able to walk into the future, and we find that that gets healed, and it stays in the past, and maybe it twinges, but it's not the same thing. There could be no resurrection without a death. That if God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can surely heal us. Now, here's the deal. How do we, like, lay hold of this? Like, how do we, how do we make this happen? For it is God, he says, work at, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, to well and to work to his good pleasure. So there's kind of this cooperation that we engage in with God in this area. Here's the deal. Uh, this sermon will not heal you. Let's call it as it is. That'd be a damn good sermon. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoa. Uh, it, 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 it cannot heal you. Insight. You could, here's what you could do. You could write down every good idea I've just said and you could 
write them on your mirror, you could memorize them, and it would not make your past go away. It would not heal you. I can give you language to talk about your pain. I can give you a vision for what Jesus wants to do. I can give you a hope. I can give you a hope, but sermons are sermons and preaching, here's your theology of preaching, it is never the end, it is always the beginning. It is the catalyst, it is the spark. It is the spark that could move us to this thing because it's, it's the ignition on the car, right? You have gas, you have all this stuff, it's not until it ignites that we can drive my 2013 Ford Flex down the road in style and smoothness. Um, it is a spark, I cannot this sermon series, and, and the reason I'm telling you that is I think when I was young in my faith, I had this notion that like this thing will do it. Like this thing external to me will cause some sort of chain reaction in me that will fix me. It's not how it works. You have to participate with God in this process. So a handful of things to help you do that. First of all, excellent book by a guy named Pete Scazzaro called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Super easy to read. Stealing, I, I hesitate to tell you that because now you'll know that like where the sermon series comes from, but emotionally healthy spirituality, here's the so what. You cannot be spiritually mature and emotionally unhealthy at the same time. Someone who is emotionally unhealthy is actually not spiritually mature. It doesn't matter if they could quote all the Bible to you. If they're jerks, if they're bitter, if they're toxic, they're not in the image of Jesus. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Emotionally healthy spirituality. Excellent book. Read that, first of all. Second of all, engage with a spiritual director or a counselor. So through um, our kind of cross-campus movement, we have access to a counselor who is for free if you need her to be. Her name's Jessica Rulo. Her office is at Grace Campus, and if you want her contact info, uh, text me or Steph or get a hold of us, and we'll send it to you. Uh, and she pays on a sliding scale. I'm going to send you something radical. Everybody needs to go to counseling. Josh is a professional counselor. He's like, yes, thank you. Um, everybody needs to go to counseling at some point in their life. Um, I have done that a couple different points, and now I meet weekly with somebody called Dan Henry, who I'm crossing my fingers will come preach in July, who is my spiritual director. So he kind of helps me pay attention to what is God doing inside of me. Um, and I can give you his number too. He's really great. Um, the other people to talk to, if you want spiritual direction, would also be Art and Pam Cooper. And they're not here this week. Um, but they're up in Michigan. But here's the funny thing. Somebody came into Grace Campus the other day, and they said, I was hoping that Art or Kyle would be here. Did you notice the order of that? <laughs> listen, I would love to listen to you and walk with you through this, and you'll be glad I did. If you walk through this stuff with Art or Pam, you actually like might get better, okay? Um, I, on the five-fold gifts that we talk about, I'm highly apostolic and highly teaching, Art is highly prophetic and highly shepherding. And this is why, like, I have coffee with him when I'm sad. Because, like, he knows how to, like, come into you with that. And, and so um, Art and Pam are great resources. And we're talking about putting a small group together to go along with this series. So if that's something that would be interesting to you, let me know. And we can do that, too. Some of you have been in their small group, like, with the joy stuff. Which sounds crazy when you hear it, but it actually starts to work. It's like brain skills and weirdness, but it's actually really good. For right now, here's one thing to do. My goal, here's what I've actually learned my spiritual gift is. Throw a grenade and walk away. That's what I do. My goal with this series is to mess you up. Like just to wreck you. Miley Cyrus wrecking ball this. You know what I mean? Here I come. There's that image for you. You're welcome. 
I'm clothed in that image in your head, I hope, yeah. Um, throw a grenade and leave you messed up. That's my goal. But whatever this is stirring up inside of you today, which could be, I'm thinking about this thing that happened to me, I'm thinking about this emotion, it could be I am so numb to this and I could not care less. Go home and journal that. And some of you are like, but I don't like to journal. Shut up and do it, okay? <laughs> I don't like to write things down. You'll be fine. Write it down and then ask Jesus what he thinks about all of that. I was doing that the other day. I, I was writing about all of my feelings, which were strong as they are prone to be with me. And uh, I got to the end. I was like, Jesus, what do you feel about this? And he was like, I have felt this and this. And here's what I wonder what would look like if we talked about this a little bit more. That was worthwhile. There's this old hymn that says, um, his blood speaks a better word than all the empty claims I've heard upon this earth. Does it wash out in the water? Is it always in the blood? I don't care what's in your blood. I don't care how loud it screams. His blood speaks a better word about our present and our past and our future than our past ever could. It more clearly defines us. If, if blood is thicker than water, his blood is thicker than our blood. It is that which transforms and ultimately saves. Let's pray. God, you... Um, so first of all, I'm thankful for the people in this community that are kind of like in an okay season right now, like that are not just jacked up by all of this. Um, you call the weak and the strong together because if we were all weak all the time, we'd be a hot mess. If we were all strong all the time, we would be mean. So I'm glad that you call the weak and the strong together. So for those who are strong, I pray that you would give us eyes to see um, the weakness and the tenderness that this series is going to evoke in us. God, I pray, for the I pray for the strong that there would be a, a, an attitude of gentle protector toward those who are weak in our community that we would come alongside and love and be present with. God, I pray for those who this is stirring stuff up, and it will. God, I pray that you would um, give them somebody strong in our community to remind them to be like a tangible reminder of your presence. And I also pray that, Jesus, you would remind them that you are such a fan of brokenness and tenderness. Um, that you um, draw near to us in our sorrow and in our weakness and that you came, Jesus, you said, I have come to bind up the wounded and to set free the captive, to replace um, beauty for ashes. Beauty for ashes. Jesus, thank you that you do this. Thank you that your promises are true to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We come to this table every week because it reminds us, in this case, that brokenness is okay. It reminds us that brokenness is okay. Um, Jesus comes to himself and he offers himself to us broken. He comes to us and he pours himself out. And so if we feel empty, we know that he knows that too. But Jesus also knows how to fill us again and to heal us and to bind us up uh, together. And that's why we come to this table. Um, before we get here, Pastor Kelsey is going to come here for a minute. This is my friend, Pastor Kelsey Orison. And uh, I felt very compelled to do this, so I might get a little. Um, 
So Kelsey has been uh, serving one of our churches in Youngstown for the last two years, along with her husband, Nick. And, uh, and what's really good for her and really sad for us is she and her husband, Nick, are moving to Lorraine July 1. And so I was super excited that she could come and be with us today. And I was like, I want you to serve communion with me. And, um, but we're super excited for like this next season for you, even if it leaves the Mahoning Valley wanting and just like want to let you know that like, like the brokenness of the last two years has not gone unnoticed by the Lord. And like, um, like there's so much life coming like at the next thing. So I'm going to stop here. I have a lot of other things I could say, but we, we need to do this now. Um, uh, you're going to do bread with me. Um, and then, um, Aaron, would you help me out? And, um, Steph. We pray that you would pour out your spirit on these gifts of bread and cup, that they might become for us the body and blood of Christ. That in the eating and drinking of them, we might be reminded that you love our brokenness. You don't seek to break us, but you love our brokenness. And that you speak life over us, even in our emptiness. So we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The table is open. Well, I love the snot out of you, and uh, I do. Not a day. Not a day, not one. Um, hey, if you were a guest in the house this week, we got gifts for you outside, mugs, books. Uh, fill out a card that says, hey, uh, we just want to be friends. Um, but love you so much. We'll see you next week.